bridges to cross Which one is the right one? I know my love waits for me And I ask which one shall it be? My name's Tom Jennings and this is the 24 Framescast. Now, I recently rented a film from Cinema Paradiso, mistakenly thinking it was about the Brinks Matt robbery. It wasn't, it was about the great Brink robbery that happened in Boston in 1950 and was completely different to what I thought I was originally going to get. The film in question was Six Bridges to Cross, and it sat unwatched for many weeks whilst I drank myself into a coma over Christmas, watching the darts, desperately trying to convince my girlfriend that darts is an actual sport, and hinting that we should go and watch it when it came to Manchester in April. I failed to persuade her, but hopefully I might have more luck in persuading you to seek this film out, because it was a surprise and a rather good one at that. Released in 1955 and directed by Joseph Pevney, Six Bridges to Cross is a hard film to categorise. It's a noir film, a heist film, a prison melodrama, a coming-of-age story, and a kind of epic crime story of sorts. It follows a relationship between Jerry, played by Sal Mino as a youth, and later on Tony Curtis in the adolescent and adult years, and a Boston police officer, Edward, played by George Nadar, who shoots the young Jerry after he has been robbing a shop and has castrated him in the process and then befriending the boy, helping him turn his life around to the straight and narrow. The pair strike up an unlikely friendship. Jerry passes Edward the occasional tip-off and Edward vouches for the kid in times of crisis. As time goes on, Edward and his wife Julia do their best to keep Jerry out of jail, but Jerry is a lifelong hood, a likeable one, but a hood nonetheless. And over time, his involvement in crime becomes even greater, eventually leading to a two and a half million dollar heist. It is a film that could hardly be called great, or indeed that original. It did, however, have a plot which kept me thoroughly engaged throughout. It has an easygoing, pulpy film, not a B-movie, but a relatively simple tale that doesn't try to do anything that it is not. And this is not a slight against the film, it just knows what it is and does it well. Hi, Jerry. I, uh, I thought I'd drive you back to Boston. Thanks, sir. Oh, thank you for getting me the job. Without it, no parole. You'll make a swell elevator starter. Oh, are you kidding? Watch this. Number three, take it up. Oh, it's a lady. Madam, the Fancy Buddy Cup Corporation is on the seventh floor. Thank you very much. Hey, try this suit on for size. Oh, the guys in here could see this. Getting presents from a cop, they'll start believing in miracles. Okay, climb into the miracle and let's get out of here. Within a minute. What I think makes the film is the performance by Tony Curtis. Now, Six Bridges to Cross is not one of his most famous roles, but it's one of the best that I have personally seen him in. Now, he's not normally known for his film noir roles, despite it being the genre in which he really started. And Curtis plays Joe with a real zest. He can be childlike, ruthless, charming, even scary to a degree. And Curtis is a bundle of energy throughout. He's always pacing around, fidgeting with his hands, reveling in his role as a hood. He might not be the genius that possibly he would like to be, 
but he is in the world of organised crime, a formidable player. And his scheme to falsify the result of a horse race is great fun to watch, with Jerry cutting a menacing look with a scarf completely covering his face. And it's an America of the 1950s with gambling and sleaze that I so love from films such as Kubrick's The Killing or Aya Kazan's On the Waterfront. They feel very much of the same universe as this. And Jerry, with suits and slick-backed hair, has all the iconography of the Hollywood gangster. And we all love a good gangster. Part of the fun of watching them is the forbidden fruit that they often represent. They're typically good-looking men who dress well, get the girl, and appear to have the time of their lives. And yet our affairs with them are often cut short, when of course the law inevitably has to catch up with their deeds. And it's impossible not to be seduced by Jerry. When he talks to his accomplices about the horse scam, he has his head bowed, a small grin on his face. It was Michael in Heat that said the action is the juice. And in this very moment, you you get the impression Jerry feels the same. He might get away with it, but doing it in and of itself is going to be the fun anyway. You guys know how the betting rooms get the results and the mutual prices? Telephone. The service sells on the set, a description of the races, payoffs, changing odds, everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, how does the service get the stuff? From the track, I guess. From outside the track, and I'm not guessing. Two guys with a telescope describe the race from the third floor apartment overlooking the track. Then special announcers at the wire service offices relay the stuff to rooms all over the country. So what? So, if the telescope boys phone in what they're told to phone in, we name the winner of the race and the mutuals and collect eight to one or maybe ten to one if we want to turn pig. (laughs) And the books don't get the legitimate results until after we've collected the cash and scrambled. Part of the fun of Six Bridges to Cross is trying to work out if Jerry is ever going to come good. And I forgot to reread the memo that says gangsters can never really get away with their chosen career. And the plain truth was, I liked Jerry, and perhaps part of me didn't want to come to any harm. And director Joseph Pevney, who is most famous for directing several episodes of the original Star Trek series, may not be one of the great visualists of American cinema, yet it's one of those films that doesn't need fussy over-direction. It's very talk-heavy and builds slowly over its runtime and the passages of time it depicts. And there's a sense of the wider world in the film, Jerry wanting to sign up and fight in World War II, and the Americans' post-war prosperity that Jerry seems to be partaking in. If I were to be hypercritical, the characters lack of ageing is a bit of a distraction, less so perhaps than if they had terrible makeup. And is it even remotely possible that the film could not have the ending that it does? It's highly unlikely that this film will ever be on anyone's best of lists anytime soon, but it's well worth seeking out. Curtis carries six bridges to cross, and Pevney knows this and lets him do his thing, and the film is better off because of it. I felt like I was watching a film that had an actual movie star in. We need them to be bigger than life. And Curtis is irresistible here. It's a star turn and deserves so much more attention. Arrow have done a great job on their Blu-ray. It looks and sounds superb with the cinematography of William Daniel looking particularly great. Overall, this was a pleasant surprise for a film I rented by accident. So anyway, that's going to be it for this episode. Many thanks for listening. I will be returning very soon in due course. 
You can follow me on Twitter or X, whatever we're calling it now. I'm Thomas24FC. Um, you can also email me at uh, 24framescast at gmail.com. Many thanks for listening. I hope you're having a nice new year and I will be in contact soon. Bye.